Welcome to the Back in Business podcast. I'm business writer and broadcaster, Mickey Clark. Can't mind his own business and writes about yours. <laughs> I'm Liz Barkley. I'm a small business writer and broadcaster too, and I love meddling in other people's businesses as well. It's not that small either. <laughs> How's you been getting on this week with the masks then? Um, I still can't work them out. I, I went into the local farm shop the other day and I couldn't see what I was doing, so I had to put the glasses up on the forehead. And I'm told you've got to start putting fairy liquid or something over them. I'm not going to be bothered with all that. I'll just grope my way around or ask this woman behind the counter to do it. Be easier, wouldn't it? I, I just don't I find that just good. Stay at home. <laughs> well, that, that's the main aim. Yeah, yeah. But I, I had to pop out and get some onions and some cooking apples today for the governor. Um, but he knew me, so he said, "You know, I'll help you out. Don't worry, old chap." She gets a certain age. They. they <laughs> Phil, I've got to help you out. Walk around the shop with you. <laughs> I'm not going to comment. I'm not going to comment. <laughs> I mean, you may be the oldest member of the team, but you're highly esteemed by the rest of your team members, obviously. Well, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> I can see Declan on Zoom shaking his head. He's anyway. our walking care home. <laughs> he, he phoned me up last week and asked me, he said, what's your tag? What a stupid question. He should know I wouldn't have a take. What was he talking it's about? It's for social media, you brontosaurus. <laughs> I, I thought he meant the one round his ankle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I gave that up when I retired. Uh, right, okay, let's let's move on. Find us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Comment on the business news. Comment on your business. Let's know what's going on in your business life. Uh, you can email us by contact us at backinbusiness.org.uk. Find us on LinkedIn or Twitter. We're on business underscore backin. Now, uh, Jyoti Rambi, our chief reporter, is here. Jyoti, you're from Leicester. I know you're not in Leicester at the moment. Um but what on earth is going on? Well, that's a good question, Liz. Um, and I think a lot of people are asking that because it's been a bit shambolic. Um, so late last night, um, the government announced that the lockdown will be lifted, but it didn't specify any, like what the restrictions would be, what would be open, when it would be open. We've got some clarity this morning, but... Um, to be honest, I think um, a lot of people are angry, especially business owners, about how it's all been dealt with, um, especially considering that um, the government themselves moved the review to today from Saturday, sorry, to yesterday. But I should say we're, we are obviously recording on Friday for you know putting the podcast on the site on Monday. So yes, today, Friday, yeah, they brought the review forward to. And it's, it is terribly confusing, Josie, in that the, the message I got the previous night, the news headline, was that certain areas of Lancashire and Yorkshire, um, they were banning people getting together from more than one household. And then they threw Leicester into the mix as well. And I thought, well, if it's in lockdown, that wouldn't that be what's happening anyway? Well, that was part of the confusions, um, like what was happening with Leicester. So I can now say that... The lockdown has been lifted in the main city and the OB and Wixton area. So pubs and bars can open, hairdressers can open, non-essential stores can reopen, all from Monday. Um, you can't mix with 
or meet with people in other homes. So you can have two households in your so-called bubble, but um, the restrictions, those restrictions still apply, which I think are the same as in Greater Manchester and other places that they've brought in those restrictions. And what impact does that have on trade? Well, I think part of it is the confusion, the lack of clarity, the lack of transparency. There were some businesses that um, I spoke to, certain salons especially, that said, oh, okay, um, if the government's announced, this is, bear in mind, this is about half 10, 11 o'clock last night, they might reopen for some people today. And some people, some of those businesses had actually geared up to only find out at about 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock this morning that actually no, it's from Monday, but they didn't make those details clear at all yesterday. And I think... Um, I. I've, my heart goes out to the small business owners. How on earth are they supposed to know when to order in supplies? When, you know, what's what's going to have gone off yet again by the time they do reopen on Monday? Uh, this is disastrous. If we keep having these kind of lockdowns, it's, it's like government are really going to struggle. It's like government by traffic lights, isn't it? Go, stop, go, stop. Um, you can't run a business like that because as soon as you get the green light and you start to gear up, your costs then start to increase. Um, and if the money suddenly gets cut off the cash flow, which it has for so many of these businesses for the past four months, they're in trouble again. And now they're in trouble in other areas too. Yeah, and I think for, particularly for like small cafes, independent restaurants where like food does go off, so you're not going to pre-order that. Now, they've just got the green light last night. Now... Most of them might not even have the time to open for Monday because it takes time to get ready, get your restaurant ready or cafe in line with the guidance, um, even though they are big as well. So we don't know. We'll find out maybe on Monday how businesses feel if any have reopened in the town centre. Jyoti, thank you. Um, Declan Curry, our uh, business editor, and Simon McVicker, our director of public affairs, policy and communications, are both here. Simon, does the does the government understand how no, small businesses work? I, I, I think this is uh, the problem. Uh, they're not really thinking clearly. I don't think they have a clear strategy. They're reacting to events. And um, they obviously... They're, well, they've always been advised by the, by the medical people that, you know, they needed to do something. Uh, I've also been hearing, you know, people saying that, you know, I think 1st of August is Eid. A lot of uh, the area that we're talking about that's been locked down is is big Muslim population. And they were terrified about big uh, Muslim parties in, in private houses over the weekend. And, uh, and I think they might have reacted to something like that. Um, but as my brother said to me, who lives in Greater Manchester, so we can't have people around in the house, but we can go to the pub. Ooh, and then he said, does that, does that make sense? Question mark. And this is the problem now. We're getting in a uh, poll today in the Telegraph saying about 50% of people don't understand the rules, don't make sense to them. And I'd say that's 50% of the cabinet as well. <laughs> <laughs> No change there, then. Yeah. <laughs> Declan. Uh, you can go to the pub in these areas of uh, Greater Manchester, East Lancashire and West Yorkshire, but you can't meet other people from outside 
your household. That's what's been reimposed, that uh, you are now limited to socializing within with the group of people that you live with and no one else outside of that. Yes, but, uh, but, but what happens when you go to the pub, Declan? You don't have to wear you a could, mask. You, <laughs> you, you go to the pub. You go to the pub, but you stay in your own family group. You don't go to the pub with friends. Declan, that does not happen. Have you been to the pub no. recently? <laughs> <laughs> I only go to the pub where Mickey's paying. So I've not been since the fifties. Oh, yeah. oh, oh. <laughs> oh, oh, we're all having it's all we're all having a go at you today, poor Mickey. Yeah. <laughs> the the the, po- the point about this is that this was supposed to be the less disruptive way of doing things. After the big national lockdown that we had in March, the government said that going forward from here, it would respond to local behaviour, local changes in infection by having local lockdowns. But as we've said before uh, on this podcast, that needs to be underpinned by decent testing, decent tracing, so that you are responding quickly and tactically and surgically to this. And we haven't got that in place yet. But the second wave and the fear of a second wave of infections is what's been driving the business and economic news this week as well. We saw that economic output in the United States has slumped by one third in the last quarter. Unemployment in the States, the recovery in the job market there has stalled because of the rising number of infections across the South and West of the US. That and what we've seen in Leicester, what we've seen in Oldham and Luton and what we're now seeing in Greater Manchester, East Lancashire and parts of West Yorkshire shows us that this recovery is not linear. We sort of fell into the soothing assumption that it would be a gradual recovery step by step by step and would be OK until maybe next winter. It's not like that at all. This could change quickly it could be thrown into reverse at a moment's notice because what we're dealing with is a public health crisis first and the business and economic aspects are uh, secondary i'm afraid and i think this podcast has been really clear about this all the way through we never saw this v-shaped recovery and uh, i think it was that was always a myth basically but my are theory you, are you saying is, I, are you saying i told you so simon <laughs> Basically, uh, but my fear is, my fear is, it's just how contradictory the messages the government is sending on, not only to our own people but internationally as well. I mean, we are um, we 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 took the decision to suddenly quarantine people coming back from Spain, when there's only one region of Spain in the northeast Catalonia that has been hit by this spike, uh, well, and the, the islands is- as well. And they've banned the islands, and even Andalusia, where a lot of British people go, has very low rates. Now, we're suddenly closing off one whole region of the UK. Why shouldn't Greece, for instance, say to us, well, we have no coronavirus at the moment. We're going to stop British tourists coming to Greece. It's going to hit, come back and hit us. And, um, you know, I, I, you know you're, Declan's right, it is a public health crisis. But the economy is getting smashed to bits during it. What is going to be left after all of this? Well, that's what we're trying to find out when we talk to the businesses that we talk to, um, Simon and Declan. Is there anything else that we need to be aware of this week that perhaps we missed out on? Anything that you've picked up that you want to 
Uh, well, just one little interesting about- story I picked up this morning in the Times is that uh, people who uh, have uh, booked to stay in the UK for their holidays are now having their cottages and whatever cancelled because pe- owners of these cottages are uh, they're getting gazumped basically by other people or the owners of these cottages have decided they're not going abroad, they're going to stay in their cottages for the summer. So uh, I've, had, I've had that, Simon, that's happened to yeah, me. Yeah, it's in the paper today, and I was just thinking to myself, add misery on misery. <laughs> yeah, I, I, when our cottage was cancelled back in March when this yeah. all blew up, and the agents for the, the owner of the cottage then tried to get us to contribute towards the cleaners and the gardeners. Ridiculous. So I appointed myself as diplomat, and I put a scotch to that. I mean, you can't, you can't do that. No, they they only cancelled because they said, "Oh, that Mickey Clark." <laughs> <laughs> no, they thought it, they originally thought it was Nicky Clark, the hairdresser. <laughs> <laughs> then they were disappointed. <laughs> no, there <is> a contrast. <laughs> Declan, anything on the business side? Uh, you know, Simon I know talked about the. Is, Having its ongoing problems. <laughs> Simon talked about the economy being smashed. We, we've been getting a sign of just how big that smashing might be all week from the banks. They've been telling us how much money they're putting aside in case their business and personal customers can't afford to repay their debts. Four billion at Lloyds Bank, four billion at Barclays Bank, and now just under three billion. That's at just Nat testing West. the water, Declan. It's it's a guess. It's their estimate of what yeah, they think right. might happen. But as uh, Mickey, as you've told me so many times over the years, it's the key figure to watch in any economic yeah. slowdown because the banks lend recklessly in the good times and then go completely the other way and keep money back from businesses that actually could make good use of it in the bad times. Yeah, the banks only lend to people that can afford it or don't I need it. I think those figures are going to go up. Very much so. I, th- I think that's that's the problem. And what does that mean for the housing market and the like? Um, because that that will be impacted. I mean, it's been impacted, but to think it's going to come out of you know a recession that quick. And now they instead of talking about a V-shaped economy uh, recovery, they're talking about a K-shaped. And I scratched my head and thought, what does that mean? And basically, it's those that have still got jobs going that way, and those that haven't going that way, which is going to create you know another split in society in this country. And I think these are issues that we will be talking about over the, uh, certainly over the autumn. Uh, Let me bring in our guests for this week because we're talking about events, the event sector, and that's been one of the hardest hit. And how do you run an event like a wedding or a big sporting event, a concert, even an event like a children's party when you're restricted to just a few people um, and they have to socially distance? You know, it's it's got to be exceedingly... uh, difficult. So let's talk to uh, Andrew Taylor, Andy Taylor, who is Taylor Made Events. He's the managing director and he works predominantly in the sports sector. And Anthony from Tamare Event Designers, and they do everything from weddings, funerals, birthday parties and corporate events, etc. How have you two been surviving over the lockdown? Anthony? It's been tough. It's it's one that you just can't really predict what's going to happen because we had, as you can imagine, a wedding takes time, birthday parties, maybe not so much time in planning. 
But you have these clients that you build a relationship with and then you just start to get the phone calls that people are panicking, it starts to reduce, and then the lockdown comes down and then everything's gone out the window. Then you have some brides who hang in there, especially the wedding industry. This has been a really difficult one. And it goes back to what we said earlier, because they were allowed to get married, but they weren't allowed to have a reception. So then you're in a situation where they're, they're phoning us and saying, well, look, we're, we're allowed to get married. We're allowed to have 30 people, but it's actually less than 30 because that includes staff at the venue, as well as the officiant, anyone who's staff, anyone working on the event is in there. So that then reduces numbers in, in terms of that. And then they're saying, well, We've got this number, then can we? Doesn't mean we're allowed to go to the pub to celebrate because there you're allowed to go as, <laughs> as many people. So, all of it for us has been really difficult in the sense that you can't produce anything for anyone. Then, birthday parties, you're just finding ways to adapt virtually, essentially. So, from filling out an entire hall in terms of decor, has now come to just a few balloons that fit inside a camera for people to celebrate with. And it just, it's really hard to give you that celebratory effect, if you would. The trouble is, as you say, is a lot of people wanting to get married. But I think the limit on getting together now in those areas that are clear is, is, is about 30, isn't it? Which seems to be the level that pubs are aiming to get customers in, which is good for them. But it's it means they're down about three quarters on their normal turnover. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's really difficult. And the thing is, it's, it's what you can then have. Because if you're taking a pub and then you have what you can, you know, in terms of general attendance and what have you, they're not going to do it for a private party. Their menus don't match what it is. The setting doesn't match what the bridal party are looking for. So they cancel slash postpone. Then you've got places like hotels, which don't open up to anyone as well. It's just put everything into chaos. It's just really, it's been absolutely difficult. And then you have some, again, we work really closely with one hotel and they keep pushing back their opening date because in terms of actual revenue from the bedroom side of it, it's not worth it for them to actually open the doors. So there is just no way whatsoever to predict what comes through. You're taking deposits, you're having to refund them, you postpone them. How long do you continuously postpone for? It's a really challenging time. So that's a double whammy for you because it's yeah. not just the lockdown, but it's also the other business, the hotel, um, deciding that it's not going to pay them. Um, I've just been looking at the rules and from the 1st of August, if that's tomorrow, if coronavirus prevalence remains around or below current levels, then you can restart indoor performances to a live audience, carry out pilots in venues with a range of sizes of crowds, enable wedding receptions, sit-down meals for no more than 30 people, and exhibition and conference centres are allowed to show small groups of up to 30 people around to view the facilities and plan for the future. And, and that's the magic number, 30, isn't it? I mean, if you've got be... a big hotel or a big conference centre, you're going to jack up your costs and you're going to be bleeding money left, right and centre. So but it's again, just not worth it. Yeah. And another thing you have to remember, that, that number 30 is not just the bridal party and their guest. You're looking at the hotel manager, the caterers, all of those people, anyone within that room at that time is part of that number. So then that 30 could essentially come down to 25. <laughs> it just becomes such a challenge that it, it just and as you said all these venues what is it worth and then who wants to have a party you know you do have intimate weddings we have had that but then you look at a situation where most people you know we go up to 150 200 to then say okay you're going down to 10 percent of that <laughs> who's up for it oh uh, ooh, i can see that um this is there's going to be a there's going to be pent up demand next year 
<laughs> just, <will> just hold <laughs> on, just hold on to that thought uh, and keep work, keep trying, keep yourself afloat until you know that in, happens. I agree to a high degree, but then you've got landmark birthdays, which are really it, it's not the same to someone. We've had a load of clients celebrating fiftieth, sixtieth, and you're like, well, okay, hold on to your money, you know. And then, then you're in a position where you're arguing with the venues as well as that because the venue don't want to release the refund. They're coming back to you because you've sourced this venue for them. You're stuck in limbo between two people. And then it's like, well, you can celebrate next year. My 51st isn't as special as my 50th with the highest degree of respect. And you don't know who you, <laughs> you don't look 50. <laughs> he was you. using he was using that as an example, Mickey. I was just going to say, hopefully oh. they'll be open again for your 80th next year. <laughs> Well, I thought Andy. Anthony might do me a deal. I could have the funeral, the wedding, and the birthday all rolled up in one. <laughs> Andy Taylor, um, in the sporting event world, how bad have things been, or have you managed to find a way through? Well, I don't think anyone's found a way through. Everything stopped um, immediately. Lockdown started, which meant that everything essentially got pushed back or postponed to either later in the year or, or into 2021. So everyone's everyone's kind of been waiting for the last few months to see how lockdown would be uh, relieved, um, what restrictions would be lifted to allow live events in an, in an outdoor arena to operate. And I think the, the, the struggle that the event industry has got moving forward is that a lot of people have been moved on to future editions of the event or a postponed event, which is going to be autumn or, or early next year. But are those events going to go ahead? Um, if I talk about a big flagship event, something like London Marathon currently is still on. You're, you're proposing to bring together 40, 50,000 participants in one place to set everyone off in an hour from Greenwich Park using public transport which everyone's been told not to use, I, I don't see how that works. So, What's been the impact, Andy, on, on sponsorship deals and advertising? Because if you've got, I don't know, 60 top-class matches of football at the weekend, only a fraction of those can be televised. They're in empty stadiums. Um, are the sponsors going to keep up plumping money into that? I mean, what's the return for them? There isn't one. Well, te televised sport, yes, okay, but uh, Premier League will always hold its value because it's distributed around the world and there is immense value in Premier League football. I think when you're talking about some of the smaller events who do rely on some of the sponsorship income to survive alongside the entry fees or tickets um, that they're selling, if they haven't got eyes on it or they're not able to do anything at the event to say this is our brand, this is how we operate and show their value to their, their customer through that process, then, yeah, it's going to be very difficult for events to reattract those people. I think where the events industry is at the moment is it's hoping that it will recover this autumn and early spring for those events that are being postponed. A lot of those sponsorship contracts have been rolled over to future editions of the event because they've been postponed, not cancelled. Now, if those events can't go ahead in spring, if we get a second wave and spring is not possible next year or autumn this year is not possible, that's going to be real trouble for the events industry. I feel like the support that the government has given to, to businesses in terms of the furlough scheme, that has helped to allow, you know, there's no event, there's no work for the events industry at the moment. Everyone's just stood down waiting for the next move. 
Now, when the furlough scheme ends and people need to be brought back in to organise these events next year, how much certainty do those businesses have these events are going to go ahead? Because mainly for both government and business, you can't predict what COVID-19 is going to do next or where it's going to hit next. And that's why you end up with this traffic light system of start, stop, start, stop for businesses. And you can't run businesses like that. Once you cut off the cash flow, that's when businesses start to go bust. Um, Andy, you were involved in the London Olympics. I mean, are you actually looking at the Japanese Olympics and thinking they may not go ahead? Well, ultimately, uh, any event has to be underwritten by someone. When the Olympics was in London, it was underwritten by the government. When the Olympics is in, in Tokyo, it'll be underwritten by the government. And I would think that, um, that they would not, you know, if it was possible for it to go ahead, they will make it go ahead. The problem is they won't be able to hold. I mean, they, they came out yesterday or the day before saying, well, look, we're going to have to operate potentially with, you know, half, half the number of crowds or lower, 30% of crowds. So the, the amount of ticket revenue they're going to get, bums on seats, is going to be, you know, minus 60% potentially. So there's going to be a huge deficit that the government's going to have to make up. So, but I would think that they want to um, save face and still get the event on the road and show that Tokyo is going to be open for business very soon. But, you know, it's, it's going to be a tricky one. But it really depends how things develop. There's also a knock-on effect, of course, from, from what you're saying in that yeah, Mickey mentioned advertising and sponsorship, etc. But um, there's a lot of the broadcast media is dependent on advertising for all sorts of things. Then there's the tourism industry in Japan or hotels. for a big event here, hotels. all the hotels. So the knock-off, it's a ripple yeah. and ripple and ripple effect. Hey, um, what about your business itself, though? Did you have to furlough people? Did you manage to keep everybody busy? Very, very lean business. Um, we're essentially a consultancy business. So we don't have really any overheads. We don't underwrite any events. We gain contracts. Um, at some, at that point, if I get bigger contracts, I bring on more freelancers. Those freelancers then don't have any work. Um, I furloughed one person. That's because there's two people in the business. So I've kept things ticking over with consultancy work and, and the other person yeah, has been on furlough for, for the duration. But we we operate from our, our our home, so so we've been very lucky that that we have very little overheads, and we've just been able to keep t- things ticking over. But look, from my freelance network, people that I work with all the time, that I rely on when things kick in again, they've had to get other jobs outside of the event sector. I've got a friend who's um, you know pushing trolleys and Tesco's and just doing things to pay the bills, pay the mortgage, and survive. Simon, Declan, this is back to what we've been saying all the way through. Uh, Yet again, freelancers are really badly affected, no matter what sector it is. And what happens if those freelancers aren't there when businesses start to try to rebuild? Uh, It's a hard life being a freelancer at any time. And, um, you know, you have to take the rough with the smooth. But, you know, I cannot see how somebody who has been um, not getting paid since March is going to be able to survive until next March. Um, but then again, are they going to be able to get jobs in the in, in, in the economy? I just don't know. I mean, it's a very, very difficult time for freelance people. And it's and also, 
Go Sorry, Mickey, I was going to say just the, the and the question is how long does the government support for freelancers continue? Uh, there was interesting uh, research out earlier in the week about the furlough scheme for employed staff, but it transfers across to freelancers as well from the National Institute of Economic and Social Research, which is one of the sort of one of the grandfathers of economic research in the UK. And it said it's all very well the government talking about ending furlough, but that's actually to save money uh, or to keep the cost of it in check. But that's actually going to be the more expensive option. The cheaper thing to do yeah. is to keep furlough going and keeping people uh, in employment and, and and make it more flexible so they can make a productive contribution to the economy. I saw that report and I, 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 we've got it on the, the web, Back in Business website uh, or we'll have on, on Monday. And the NIESR were quite definite about it. 1.2 million people, a lot of them freelancers, should be kept on furlough. The cost would be somewhere in the region of 10 billion until spring of next year. And of course, you compare that with the 30 billion that's already cost the taxpayer. They said the alternative is a hit on tax revenues, a hit on the economy, scarring, they called it, which you know gives you some idea of the impact. Um, and they say that by keeping the furlough open, which is what we've been arguing, then you know it's cheaper and better for the economy. But then but this the is a big political is, argument and it's yes. more Simon's area than mine, yeah. I think, because then there's a conflict with those people who say it's not the role of government to yes. have make peace work. I mean, there's two points here as well. I mean, you're right, Declan, of course, but the uh, there is, there's nearly three million people who are self-employed who are not getting anything from the government at this stage. And don't forget that. And these people are people like us. They're professional people, probably with houses and mortgages, schools, fees to pay, you know. That's one thing. The other thing is, um, my understanding is the government scheme for the self-employed is coming to an end in August. So, And there is no plans to extend anything to them unless... He changes his mind in um, the autumn. But uh, there just doesn't seem to be a strategy uh, towards self-employment in this country. Never has been. And I would also include small businesses in that as well, uh, because there needs to be a fundamental review of small business taxation. Um, Anthony, Andy, did either of you get any help from the government? So we were entitled to the government bounce back loan. Um, which helps. But again, it's kind of scary on how to allocate that because you don't know when work is coming back and then what you're paying back. So that was something that was quite scary. In terms of the premises, because of the way that our business rates were organised in part of the office that we're in, we weren't eligible for that. And then you have all these other issues where you're trying to support this fund for like our storage and whatnot. And that's where the challenges came in. So there was some, but there were other parts where you're just not eligible based on the criteria of what you've got. So... Anthony, can I ask a question of you there, uh, Simon here? Uh, if, if you don't pay back that bounce back loan, uh, will you be getting a bad credit rating? I believe so. I, this is the thing. It's one of those situations where it then affects your credit. You know, it's, you're in that position where you needed it to survive based on the current situation. How else, as, you, as was mentioned, we have mortgages. We have other yes. utilities need paying for. You, you take it and it, it's that risk that you have to take. And I mean, to be honest, thankfully, it's not huge, but there are certain jobs treacling through, which just gives you a glimmer of hope that there's Good. something to to look forward well, to and yep. something and to that's very We've important. had people on, on the, on the programme which have applied for the COVID emergency funding loans 
and then found out that, in actual fact, the bounce-back loan would better suit them, but then get caught in the crosshairs of both the first loan and the second loan. And they finding to switch from one to the other becomes nigh on impossible. Yeah, I mean, you found that as well, Declan, didn't you? Uh, yes, uh, just to say there has also been a change in the rules uh, surrounding the uh, larger loan scheme, the Siebel uh, scheme, which many small businesses applied for and then found they couldn't get because they were in the red, they were losing money uh, uh, or they had uh, debts already. Uh, government said this week it's relaxing the rules so that small businesses that were previously turned down for Siebel's and ended up getting bounce back loans, which typically were smaller, uh, may now be able to apply for the Siebel loans of up to £5 million, depending on the size of their business. Um, Andy, you had the furlough scheme. Um, any other help? No, just didn't think we needed it and, and just kind of thought that the scary thing is, you know, we actually did really well last year. We got a big... Uh, corporation tax bill. Um, we've got VAT that we've got to pay that kind of wasn't, you know, but normally cash flow is not, not really a problem. But when everything just plunged off a cliff, okay, it's corporation tax. You should, in, in many ways, be putting money aside for it, of course. But we'd never had to do that before. And suddenly the concept of having additional debt over and above what we had to pay back already, plus, plus pay salaries, is... Uh, we had, we had an, enough cash in the bank and just thought, it, look, if we can see it through um, until autumn, which is normally when we start planning for events in spring, summer 2021, then we should be okay. So we just carefully planned, stayed inside. My, my employees and me and my wife were co-directors. We didn't spend any money and we were fine. And hopefully, look, there is a bit of chink of light. We've got first event in September. Uh, albeit very much scaled back. And uh, look, we're, we're already speaking to clients about events next year. So look, there is some hope. Great. Um, do you, what's the future look like? I mean, have people shifted their expectations? Are they, you know, are, do you think, Anthony, for instance, people are thinking more about smaller weddings? Is there a, is there a long-term impact of any of this on you know, people talk about going back to normal, but are we going back to anything like the old normal? Do you know, one of the key things that has attacked us is where you look at a celebration, people will aim to go to central London and there were certain costs that weren't actually being implicated before. For instance, the congestion charge. In terms to rebuild the economy, we're, we're looking at a seven-day week congestion charge. It, it finishes at later time. So some bookings that would have been strategically placed because it would attract people to visit central London at that time is now taking an impact because of the cost. Not only is it a pay rise, you've now got to look at the parking in that area, all of those bits. So it, it's, it's a bit of a mix that you found people who have found a new normal being virtual online. Um, we've had a couple of award ceremonies that we're involved in where they just, they're now looking at trying to get refunds from these venues because dates are keep on getting pushed back. They're doing it online. So you now see uh, award ceremonies, conferences, and now be a, people are adapting to platforms like what we're on at the moment to conduct that and there are others that naturally require that celebration and people are just holding out and you can in the past two weeks we have seen that people are adapting as best as they can a lot of garden parties and stuff in that nature that gives you a glimmer of hope that you we will get back to a normal if you would yeah because there's a big argument going on about the congestion charge because you've got the congestion charge, then you've got the ULES charge, exactly. then you've got car parking. So you're looking at £35 before you even switch on the ignition. 
That's this without the cost of tax and and petrol, diesel, whatever and you know. When you look at it, sometimes use. you look at a, a couple going out to an event. What's the price of a ticket for that as well? So you've got that forty five pounds there. Then you've got let's say one hundred and fifty quid a ticket there. So that's three fifty going on there. Then the actual night itself. So there's quite a extra bit of an overhead going on just before the nights even began. I was just going to say, Mickey, uh, lots of the country don't, doesn't know what ULE is, is because it's a London Ultra charge. Ultra-low oh. emission zone. Yes, no acronyms, please. No, no. <laughs> Andy, well. do you think, though, there will be a, there'll be a different approach to sporting events? I mean, you talked about the London Marathon. And, of course, uh, there are marathons all over the country. Are we going to see numbers restricted in the longer term? Uh, well, it's just not viable. All of these events are work, are operating on a on a shoestring to get these events on. They're very very expensive events to put on. There is uh, an expectation that these events are um, uh, well, people can afford them. And, and I think when people have less money in their pocket, people are are less likely to want to do do events that are expensive. But the, these events. These participation events, which is m- most of what we do, they don't have huge sponsorship revenues because they're not elite events. They're not televised events. So most of the revenue comes from the participant. And it's very, very difficult to imagine in the, in, in, in the near future how you make that work because you're essentially bringing large groups of people together. They're sweating, they're perspiring, they're spitting, um, they need water they need help from volunteers need help from medics it's a very very challenging uh, thing to try and put on and not the parties i go to <laughs> no spits in there <laughs> yeah but you were wondering you'd, you'd yeah. never make you'd never make a fraction of a marathon sorry. no that's true <laughs> there's just cutting in I, I just wonder from from andy and from anthony is there a point where they think um guys do you think this business isn't worth it anymore I've got to do something else. Have you sat down at any point and thought to yourself, I've got, I'm going to look at the jobs column. There's got to be something else I can do that can bring in money. There isn't. But this is the problem. This was one of the challenges that you you have. You look at it and you start to say, well, what happens? Especially in the early days of the lockdown where everything just collapsed. But you just had that feeling that, but to be fair, I don't think we predicted how long this lockdown was going to be. You know, we heard a couple of weeks and what have you, three weeks at the time. And then it started to extend and then you start to think of it. But then you have so many people getting laid off that you think, well, there's nothing out there. You know, there are some people I know, again, going back to some of the hotels that they've had to lay off some of their departments because of changes and the demand isn't there. And you think, well, hospitality is in a complete rut at the moment. Where do you go? And then going back to what Andy said, you've got people who are doing certain bits in supermarkets and stuff like that. Yes, it helps generate certain bits, maybe uber drivers or something i've heard of some people i've heard in the traveling industry but you just kind of think to yourself uh, to be honest i think the phone calls started to come in and that raised a bit of hope to say well you know what just hang in there a bit more more of my clients have been on the phone this week as well which was really encouraging andy yeah. what do you both think? of them <laughs> it was you twice andy <laughs> i don't think anyone in the don't think anyone in the events industry does this but for the money this is not a, an industry that pays really really well so always find margins across the board. So people are doing events for the love of it. And if, as long as there's hope, as long as there's big events happening, it's an exciting industry to be in. So I think people will try and hold on to the grim end in the hope that something will return. And look, people 
love live events. People love going out to do things, go to concerts, go and see sports, go to celebrations. This can't be the end of that. So we're going to have to adapt and work out ways to, to, to do this in a safe manner. And hopefully, you know, a couple of years time, we'll be looking back and saying, what was all that about? You know, and, and we're, we're fully recovered and back to where we were. But yeah. I, f- I fully hope that is true. What is the one thing that you would like the government to do, Andy? How could the government really help you get to that point? It, it, it's tricky. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in terms of what's helped so far, well, the furlough scheme has helped so far in keeping those businesses that have a lot of their overheads as, as staffing costs and retaining those staff so they're ready to go when the, ind- the industry starts again. That's, that has helped because a lot of people that I know in the industry have just been waiting, not doing any work and getting ready and excited about planning the next event that can happen. As soon as that furlough scheme ends, I think, you know, the event industry will just lose thousands of people, thousands of experienced people and businesses will collapse. And those events will not happen anymore because there'll be less operators. Keep the furlough. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, the furlough definitely helps. It most definitely helps. Um, another thing I think, obviously, I know it takes an impact on the economy in asking this, but you look at some of the schemes that the Chancellor's put out there, for instance, the, the those vouchers that are helping people go out for a meal to help rebuild the economy. Um, it's somewhat harder, I suppose, in Andy's situation where there isn't something like that, but some kind of incentive that can help people to host an event, if you would, um, be it that it's to help, you know, a cost in terms of the rental, just something that helps people because they've taken such an impact at the moment. I haven't figured it out completely, but that's that kind of voucher that helps them in order to spend with event suppliers in some kind of way. Just that kind of leniency and considering the impact of what it takes to run a business. Um, I, I kind of mentioned it earlier, stuff like, um, okay, you can get in a rent relief, but when you've got no business, and for us, we have storage units. It's not just the one, it's multiple units just to contain all the stuff that we have but they are businesses of their own because they don't have a relief. You're still being charged for that. As well as having a mortgage, you've now got this going on. There's only so far the money can spend without actual jobs coming in. Just those little bits of consideration of what it takes to run a business would help. Yes, it does take an impact on us, but again, you know, how many people are being hit by this? You could lose many people within the events industry. That's quite a hard hit for us. Well, look, thank you ever so much, both of you, for talking to us. But Simon, I think this is, I know you're making your list of all the things that businesses who come on the podcast would like to see happen. But this does point back to that. We need a sector-by-sector look at how small small businesses operate. Yes, I I was thinking that just as as, as the guys were speaking there, that um, could the furlough scheme be operated on a sector-by-sector basis i mean it seems to me the events industry is probably the most uh, reliant on, on on the furlough scheme um because of the nature of your business and it does seem to me that there is an argument you could put to the government that you know we make special exceptions um because it is coming to the crux time isn't it around the furlough now because employers have to start paying national insurance on people who are on furlough and then it goes down from 80% to 70% in September. And if you're going to make somebody redundant, you have to give 45 days notice. So that means mid-September is going to be and, and a very of course, big time. We, 
with the whole scheme, the furlough scheme, is due to come to an end in October. So if Rishi Sunak is going to do something, he's going to have to make up his mind pretty damn quick. Um, you know, he's chucked in, as, as Anthony mentioned, that the credits to go out and have a meal. But even that, he qualified. It was Monday to Wednesday. Did When was the last time you took your wife out for a, you know, a romantic meal on a Monday night with no one else <laughs> in the place? So I ended up wearing it. Yes. <laughs> but I think uh, the thing is that I think the thing is that we he has to do something very soon, as you say, because the decisions are going to be made in August, basically, about who's who employers are going to keep on and who not. Now it could well be that self-employed people are in a strong position in, in the events industry because you know people may be taken on in a self-employed basis. Uh, it'll be interesting to watch that. But I do hope, Anthony and Andy, you report back to us and let us know what what's going on. Yeah, no, please do. Yeah, sure, for sure. Thank you for giving us the opportunity. Oh, no, it's gr- it's been great to have you. Declan, anything we need to be l- looking out for this week on the business front? Look, I'll, 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 I'll have Mickey know that there's nothing more romantic than a wet Tuesday night in Floyd's and Balamagari. Uh, <laughs> Uh, experience um yeah the, the what's on my list is what simon has said offer? The fr- <laughs> only if you're only if you're paying sunshine yeah, yeah. <laughs> um uh, yeah as, as simon said the furlough scheme the wind down starts uh on the uh starts in august and we'll see what impact that starts to have on companies at employment my fear is for a lot of companies it'll crystallize them into making people redundant that they've held off on uh up to now and then rishi's dishes starts uh, in august it's a tenor but you know we'll see it just might make all the difference it might get people out on a monday tuesday or wednesday most pubs and restaurants are closed monday tuesday and wednesday well, they can reopen, can't they, and sell fish suppers? <laughs> come on, come on, guys. Tuesday is Chicken the new in a Friday. <laughs> a great way of putting it, Liz. <laughs> yeah, there will there will have to leave it. Thanks ever so much to everybody for joining us, particularly uh, Andy Taylor and Anthony from Tamari uh, Events Designers. Thank you both very much indeed. Uh, thank you, Declan, Simon, Mickey, me. Everybody else who's been involved. Uh, if you'd like to comment in any way about what's been said or about your own experiences, then contact us at backinbusiness.org.uk is the email address. Find us on LinkedIn. Twitter, we're business underscore backin. And next week, we're talking about supply chains. Some firms are finding they've no problem getting the usual supplies to sell on to the customers. Others are finding the supply chains are fraying. And uh, so we'll be talking about that next week. See you then. 